And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Stephanie Patel, former attorney who has had two near-death experiences and a giant spiritually transformative experience that totally turned her world upside down. Stephanie, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thank you for having me on this show. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Stephanie, let's start at the beginning and kind of work our way through your life up to where you're at now. All right. Well, I have had two near-death experiences, but I also have to tell you, I was born without breathing and I know what happened, but I finally did get breathing. I didn't want to go through this life. When I was three years old, we lived in a little village in the middle of Alaska. And I had, I'm the ninth of 15 children. And uh, in the winter, when I was three years old, when it was still winter, I was out playing with my siblings and I wandered away. And they couldn't find me. And they thought by the time they found me, I would be dead. And actually I was. I had uh, a story that I have now and there's reasons why there I have bits that I remember and not everything, but I have the story now, the whole story. And I fell into a little pond of water, face first. And you know, children freeze quick. They can stay in that, you know, animated stays for up to 60 minutes or something and be brought back. So they finally found me. And the story that I get is that I was so frozen, my skin was they couldn't my father couldn't even try to give me artificial resuscitation because he couldn't get my mouth open so he had to breathe on my mouth and everybody thought I was dead because there were searchers out there but my dad wouldn't give up and it was in the middle of the wilderness so they found a little shack and they built a fire to you know provide a little bit of warmth and he kept working on me and working on me and working on me until finally I took a breath and to him it was like a miracle so I was his miracle kid you know and uh, what happened for me was that it was about, I understand now that I was gone for about 40 minutes. And when I came back home, they had to warm me up slowly. They had to call the Anchorage on two-way radio in those days because it was 1953. And uh, get directions on what to do. So they warmed me up until I was back to normal. And my mother... <laughs> was raised as a very, very staunch Catholic. And when I started talking about heaven, she freaked out. She literally freaked out and she told me I must never talk about it. She said, you can't go to heaven until you're dead. And if you're dead, you can't come back. Only Jesus can come back from being dead. And so she forbade me to talk about it, but I still tried. And I guess I told her something that God had told me to tell her and she didn't like it. <laughs> and so one day I was talking about it and she slapped me for talking about it. It's only three, but she, I said, you know, my friends in heaven will be sad if I don't talk to them because I could communicate telepathically with them then. And she gave me a little slap and my dad stepped in then. He said, do not hit her again. From now on, it's between me and her. And my mother told my siblings that to tell me I was just dreaming or I had lied or whatever. And I had major ten temper tantrums at that time. I'd just lay on the floor and cry and cry because my heart was broken because I'd been told that I was supposed to bring back this stuff and tell people and they wouldn't listen to me. And uh, 
what happened, well, I'll explain what happened later. Before you go there, what was the message that God had for her? She was raised as this Catholic that was terrified, you know, stories of the Inquisition and stuff. She was terrified of not believing what the Catholic doctrine was. And her mother, her, her father had said he didn't believe in hell because God would, a kind father, he couldn't believe that a kind father would ever send his children to hell. And she told her mother and her father that they were going to go to hell for saying that. And God said to tell her that she needed to apologize to her mother while she had a chance. Her mother would die in a few years. Um, and she got so angry and, and that I would even talk about this or even know about it, that it just freaked her out. And so all my life, my mother and I did not have a good relationship. A lot of this I did not remember as I was growing up. Some bits and pieces, but not all of it. And so I just assumed we were just such different people, but I never knew that she really, really, it was like she was always waiting for me to go off the deep end. Either I was crazy and I was schizophrenic or I, the devil was in me. <laughs> Either way, you know, it, I was kind of a lost soul. So, so that was kind of where it was at then. Let's move forward to your second NDE. So my dad dies when I'm nine years old. We moved to North Dakota. Long story there. This is such an intense, interconnected story with the spiritual realm. But anyway, we moved to North Dakota. I was miserable. Um, and when I was 20 years old, I was, I had a hard life then because I didn't have anybody to, to look to. So I was raped as a youngster and had things going on that were really, really painful. And I had no one to turn to, nobody loved me. Um, when I was 20 years old, I tried to kill myself. I took a bunch of pills. I was in college at that point. And some people found me and took me to the hospital, but my heart stopped. And I don't remember too much about what happened at this point. I knew I died. And I knew I came back, but it was 1970, and I knew nothing about a near-death experience. I had no way to interpret this. All I could say for sure was that somehow I'd been put back in my same footsteps, and I didn't know if it was in a different alternative reality or what. But somehow I had come back with the message that don't do it again. Better to get it right before, you know because you'll just have to come back here and do it again. You'll just have to come back and go through the same thing again if you don't get it right. So better to get it right. So I know a lot more about what happened now, but at the time I was already, you know, I didn't dare talk about it. People already thought I was a little bit off because I tried to kill myself. And uh, right after I got back, I changed my name. This is significant. I changed my name from Dorothy, which was my name before that, to Stephanie. I just knew I had to change my name. I didn't remember exactly why. I just knew I had to. So I changed my name to Stephanie. I've been Stephanie ever since and changed it legally. And so that was the second time. Did that NDE give you any significant changes in abilities? Not changes so much in ability at that time. What it did was it changed the whole direction of my life. It changed the whole direction of my life. Within a few months, I met a man, and this is significant. I met a man and married. We married two months after we met. It was one of those things where I saw him, 
when he didn't see me and I said, who is that guy? I was immediately drawn to him. And then he saw me when I didn't know he saw me and he was like, who is that girl? This was on campus. And finally he got the opportunity to come up to me and introduce himself and he did and we were inseparable and we got married two months later. So it was one of those things that was meant to be. In the spiritual realm, we say it's one of those target places where you know you're supposed to be with that person. So you married him, and then were you still with him when this STE happened to you when you were 28? Yes. So I got married. We had some kids. I went to law school. And on the day that I, and I had started karate because to get away from the, the practice of law. And all of a sudden, all these abilities woke up. It was like, it was my introduction to meditation. Remember, I grew up in a family that was very, very uh, materialistic. Even though they were Catholic, my siblings did not mostly buy into it, although we were raised that way. They were very materialistic. And so I didn't, you know, I couldn't, even investigate things, although I had certain interests because it would just be, I would be more crazy. And so the karate really opened up my abilities. It was my introduction to meditation. All of a sudden I had this knowing of things and I was like, how come everybody else isn't, you know, having this, <laughs> these experiences. I even had some instant manifestation experiences, different things like that. And, um, you know, if one of my kids was injured, I would just have to go to him. I didn't know why it would just be compelled. And I mean, it was very dramatic. It was very dramatic that I would just have to drop what I was doing and run to where they were with no explanation. And I would get there just to find them injured and nobody helping them. And then when I was 28, I had just finished my last law school exam. And I um, went with a friend. And she said, I, I was really depressed because I didn't know what I was going to do with the rest of my life, really. I was, you know, I just couldn't see myself being an eight to five kind of person for the rest of my life, even though I just graduated and was a lawyer. And so I said, I was kind of depressed. I said, can we go out and get a drink? And she said, sure. She said, but first I have to visit my paraplegic brother. And I did not talk about this for a long time because people were not open to listening, one, at that time. This is in 1978. And two, because it involved other people. I didn't want to put them on the spot. And so I said, okay, we can. But I wasn't looking forward to it because I wanted to go try in my beer. And we went to the dorm room where her brother was. And he was had been in a car accident. And she said, he's really depressed because he, he's really, really depressed because he'll never have a chance to be a real man. You know, he was only 18, 17 or 18 when he had this accident. And we got to the door and I heard this voice say, all things flow to the good as the rivers flow to the sea. It was just very clear. I remember it to this day. And at that moment, she knocked on the door. And we heard his voice say, who's there? And it was kind of, um, I could tell he'd been crying, the sound of his voice. And she said, well, it's just us. And she opened the door and he is laying on the on his desk with his head down. 
and he raises his head and he says, what do you want? And at that moment, the only thing I can tell you is that what I thought I was split into three parts. And I did not, because I was not religious, you know, and I just, you know, was pushed away by the kind of hypocrisy I saw growing up in the Catholic Church. I did not use the word God, as I say, except in vain, even though I'd had all these experiences before. I just didn't use that word. And so these three parts that I can boast, best explain them to you were what I called the puppet master. And it was omnipotent. It was powerful. And the body, what I called the puppet. And the eye, which you could see is the eye or eye, that was the observer. And at as I split, I was watching and I wasn't in any physical space. I was in what I would call none space. I was just aware. And as I watched the puppet master manipulated the puppet, which was my body. It's like I had vacated my body and it manipulated my body in such a way that it was, I would never have done. I would never have acted like that. I was too self-conscious, but in such a way that this guy began to smile and pretty soon he was laughing and he was slapping his thigh. And we were probably there, I don't know how long, 10 to 20 minutes, somewhere in there, 15 minutes maybe. And by the time we were leaving, he was just laughing his head off. And as we walked out the door, the three parts went and came back together. But what had happened during this time was that some people, someone described it as a download once. Other people, I guess, is suddenly your memory is restored or whatever. But all of a sudden, I understood it all. I just understood it all. It's the only way I can explain it. It was like everything had been turned upside down. And as we walked out of there, my friend said, well, he was certainly in a good mood all of a sudden. And I didn't want to explain to her what happened. But and so I didn't, you know, at that point. Um, but all of a sudden, I saw. I just knew it. I saw how reincarnation worked. I saw how um, how the energy of the world worked. It's just like everything was just there. Only, as people have probably said before, no words to explain it. Now, this is not a near-death experience. I'm totally aware and physically there in this experience, right? And so how much of it you know, surfaced from my other experiences or how much my other experiences prepared me for this, I can't say. But it changed my life from that moment. I lost my fear of everything. Let's stop for a moment because I want to kind of break this down, what happened to you. You were outside of your body. You were also felt like you were your body and then you were an observer from your body? No. I, it's like what I thought I was split into three parts. But the part I identified with was the observer. It was like, how to explain this? Um, if you get out, I don't know if people, sometimes people have peak experiences and they get out of their own way and their body just goes. If you say, I want that pencil across the room and you, you don't have control of going over to get the pencil, it just happens, right? Who's doing that? Who's walking your body across the room to get the pencil? Who's saying, hey, this has to happen. This muscle has to pull on that muscle. You're not. 
you're just really there taking the ride. There's something else functioning that is not the self-identification. And but it's a synergy. It's a synergy between your awareness, this force that moves the world and moves your body across the room and keeps your heart beating and everything else, and the physical form. And I think most people who are listening probably understand that the physical form isn't really you. It's almost like, as my friends in heaven explain it, it's like the glove that you stick your hand in and you can manipulate it, but it's not, um, it's not you. Where was your awareness observing from? That's what I'm saying. It was not in a physical space. I can't even, that's the part you can't explain. It had simply, it simply was aware of what was happening. But I, you couldn't locate it in a physical space. Mm -hmm. If I could, I probably would not have had that whole download of information. Because it was like that whole information package just came from, I don't know, source energy, whatever. It's like, okay, I get it now. I get it. And I remember thinking afterwards, this was as easy as stepping off a log. How come I never got it before? How come I never understood this before, how it all comes together and how it all works? I think people would say that your consciousness is from a non-local space, which is kind of not really anywhere, maybe everywhere. And then part of it is working through your body, but like your higher self is in this non-local space. So maybe at that point you were, your consciousness was mostly back into your higher self observing this whole thing. Well, some people would explain it that way. I would not. But I agree that some people would explain it that way. Do you think seeing her brother as a paraplegic somehow triggered you to have this experience? Well, I was already having a lot of experiences um, of a different sort, not like this, to this extent. But I was already having a lot of experiences um, that were out of the norm. You would say it's not something I could talk to people about because they would say, you're weird. And so, um, kind of lost your question here. Well, what do you think was the catalyst that made you do this? I don't know. I, I afterwards I thought about it and I thought it's like the way I explained it would be like is as if you live in a world that is always covered by clouds. There are clouds all around the world, and you don't know what's up above the clouds. And then one minute, one day, for some reason, you happen to be out in this field. And the clouds part, and you see the sun. And you go, okay, that's the sun up there. That's what's making the heat and the light. But then the clouds close up, and you go on with your life, but you can't explain it to all these people who have never had that happen to them. Why did it happen to me? I don't know. You know, I didn't know. Why yeah. does anything happen to any of us? Right. My guess is upon seeing him in this state, somehow either triggered a memory within your higher self or something that reminded you that we're not this meat sack, we're much more. Well, I already knew that. Right. I already knew that very definitely. Um, but I had not had an experience that I recall like this that was so clear and, um, you know, it just turned everything upside down. I was like, people have it all wrong. 
They have it all wrong. But that was the way I saw it. And how do you explain to people that see it the way they see it? You know, and the way that I had seen it, because I, like I said, I'd grown up in this materialistic family and gone to school with everybody else. And so I'd had to somehow survive through that, which was hard. It was difficult to survive through it. Um, so I just, so I just didn't talk about it with people because it wasn't something you could talk about. Some of my near-death experience guests had something called bilocating during their NDE. And the way they describe it is not only are they looking out of their eyes through their body, but they're also outside of their body looking at their body at the same time. It's like two things are happening at once. I know yours is right. different. I have that experience. I, I have that in astral travel. Hmm. But not at that time. Not at that time. All right. So you it's this very different. This happened to you. How did your life change after that? Well, like I said, I lost my fear. I got divorced um, because it just wasn't. I could no longer relate to my husband. That often happens after these events, right? Mm -hmm. So I got divorced. I said I'm going back to Alaska. I went back to Alaska and uh, practiced law there and lived there. For many years and it was hard it was very hard because i was single and i still the way i explain it even if you have an experience like this it's like okay i don't know if your audience will see this or you can identify with this but to me enlightenment always means you're the last person to get it hmm. it always means that you're you're going it's like everybody else is standing around going what took you so long because all of a sudden everything is perfect and you see it's perfect and you had to be the last person to get it, to see that it was perfect. So as I went through life, I did not lose this sense that everything is perfect the way it is. And so there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to worry about. Um, I saw during this experience that I couldn't die because there was nothing to die. That's the best way I can explain it. We have relationship in life, and relationship is what defines us. So, of course, I was well aware that, you know, the dichotomy between everything is one, the one and the many, et cetera. But I had to go through life continuing to, as I said, tying up ends. Now, there, this is a very, I didn't know what was happening at the time. It has become clearer to me in the last few years, but at the time, I did not know what was happening. It was tying up ends. And if you ask me, you know, what's why did this happen to me or other people? You know, why does things happen to them? I was listening to a interview of someone. I think her name is Jody Long. And she, I think, works, has a website for near-death experiencers and stuff. And she said, after listening to 5,000 of them, people, you know, regularly talk to Jesus, et cetera. And she said, I think that it's what their soul needs for their growth. We're all unique. And so I have thought about that a lot since I heard that. And I thought, well, yes, it's it's not just what you get in your narrative experience, but what you get in your life. It's what you need for your own soul growth. And so I can only say this is must have been what I needed for my soul growth. And I actually know it is because I have past life recall and I've learned a lot about my past life. So I also know how they have all 
sort of, it's like a long story, different chapters of how you get where you are. Has the memory of this experience faded over time? No. This was a seminal experience for me because it pulled it all together. And so whenever I go through life and I get perplexed or somebody says something, I take it back to that experience to check it against that experience. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, this is your basic truth. And to me, the best way I can explain basic truth to me, my bedrock is that I exist. God exists. Experience. The world exists. And those three are continually mixing it up. Do you think that God is separate from us or we're a part of God? Well, first I have to say that, you know, people talk about non-duality and I'm like, non-duality means nothing. To me, that's the zero, the infinite potential. To me, zero is a symbol of infinite potential of God energy, basically. So we are all the aspects of God, I guess I would say. That's all that is, right? But at the same time, there is relationship. So I don't have a problem talking to God. I'm like, okay, I can do that. Works for me. It makes me happy. But I also understand that it flows through all of creation. It is creation. It's continually, you know, it is the bedrock because God either is or it isn't. Life either is. God is synonymous to me with love and life. It either is or it isn't. If it isn't, then we got nothing. What's the problem? If we're here, it is. So that's the bedrock. And then from there, what I saw, I actually saw this during my experience, was from that bedrock of God is life, God is love, come the dichotomies. But there is no evil. What I saw was there was no evil. There's no devil. There's no hell, except whatever you want to call it or create of it but there's nothing that can be in opposition to god because that would be like saying god is not which means you have nothing and so it just to me that's my bedrock so i go back to the bedrock all the time and i say okay this is all stories we've got stories that's what we are doing you know it's god telling stories and our lives are the stories after this experience, how did your life unfold into where you're at today? Well, I had to go through life as an attorney, and I had two worlds that I thought of. I thought of it as two worlds. I had the world that I had seen, which was a world of beauty and harmony. And it was like, if everybody had, I remember thinking this, if everybody had this experience, there would be no more war in this world. There would be no more hatred and people fighting each other if everybody had this experience. But they don't. And I don't and and I could not see how you could help anybody get there. The other side is the materialistic world where you go through, you know, and you're trying to make a living and you're worrying about tomorrow and da 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 da. da. And so I had these two worlds and I would go between them. And when I practiced karate, when I would when I would work at my karate training, my abilities would become enhanced. So that's the best way I can explain it. And it was a little bit disturbing to me because as they became enhanced, it was like then I was separated from other people because I couldn't explain what was happening to them. Um, and and so I just would, would feel kind of, you know, out there without a, 
anchor or something, you know, just floating around, not able to connect with other people. And so I'd have to keep going back. I would back off from studying karate at times just so they wouldn't become so enhanced. And then finally, I retired. And so in October of 2015, this is when the real modern part begins. In October of 2015, I was in my office in Alaska. And I suddenly got the message, you need to go to, you need to leave Alaska. And I thought I would never leave Alaska. I was probably 62 years old. How old was I? No, I was 65. No, that was, it was 2011. Sorry, October of 2011. So I was 61 years old. And it said, you need to go to leave Alaska. And I'm like, if I leave Alaska, I have to retire. because I'm not going to be able to, you know, I could transfer to another state, but I'd have to get started and practicing at this age and da, 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 da. And it was one of those impulses that I could not resist said, you have to do this. And so I, by February of 2012, four months later, I had found a house in North Dakota here in Fargo, although I never wanted to come back to North Dakota. And I gradually moved here. I kind of worked half and half. I would come to North Dakota and I would go back to Alaska and practice until I could retire. And so what happened to kind of cut to the chase here, and I hope this is where it's, it may even be weirder than people can understand. In October, I, I showed you some pictures that I had drawn in September. And they were just pictures that I would draw before I went to sleep. And one day, I woke up in the morning and Thomas Jefferson is standing at the foot of my bed. And of course, I'm shocked because it's like, what are you doing there? <laughs> And he said, I came to tell you, you're free. And I said, free from what? You know, what, what is this? And I was pretty shocked because this had not happened before for me. And I said, I, I mean, I had seen a figure in a light before and stuff during the years, but, you know, where there's someone standing there and you know who they are and they're in their 18th century garb and everything. And he said, I just came to tell you that you're free. And he said, you were a slave on my plantation that was very special to me. And I said, okay. And then he went away. And I didn't know what to make of all that. I told one sister about it. You know, I, I was already having communications. I'd already done some mediumships and stuff with for people. And I was having some communication. Um, and I told my sister, my mother had died. I said, my our mother came to me. And that was okay. And then I said, Thomas Jefferson came to me and she freaked out. So I said, okay, I'm not talking about that anymore. And then a week later, I had been, I had my coffee, I had some idle time. And I said, I wonder if I could just ask to talk to somebody and try and figure some of this out. And so I said, who do I want to talk to? And only one person came to mind. And his name was Steve Jobs. Now, take you back to... October of 2011, when I felt the need to move, that was when Steve died. And take you back to my near-death experience when I was 20. That was when I changed my name to Stephanie. Take you back to my near-death experience when I was three. That's when I saw Steve, because he wasn't born yet, in heaven. And he said, I'll be coming for you. And um, that's what I told my father 
I said, I'm supposed to tell you that someday I have to go be with Steve and I have to tell you now so that you will understand this. And uh, he showed up. I said, I, I don't know, but I didn't remember this. I didn't, I mean, I didn't remember his name, Steve Jobs. I just came to me because I'd read, I didn't even, I had no interest in technology. So I was not interested in, in that area. But something led me to say, I want to talk to Steve Jobs. And he was there. He's like, okay, I'm here. Thanks for having me. And I said, well, how do I know this is you? You know, you have to give me some validation. So he told me three things right off the bat that I could look up. And since I knew nothing about him, I was able to validate two of them right away. And the third one with some research, I was able to validate. And I said, okay. And he would not stay away. He kept talking to me. Once he was there, he just kept talking and talking and talking. And he'd wake me up in the middle of the night to talk. And this is happening telepathically. I don't know if your audience is familiar with how telepathy works, but essentially you're having conversations. We all have conversations going on in our head. But when we get reconnected, then we are able to have interpersonal communication. And so he'd wake me up in the middle of the night and I needed a lot of validation. I needed a lot of validation. I was an attorney. I needed evidence, right? So I hired a, well, I got led to, to go to a local medium about a week, about a month after we started talking. And during this period of time, there were lots of amazing things. I'll tell you one of the most amazing. One day he says, get your car key. And I had a fob. And so, and I only had one because I had lost the other and they're expensive. So I got the fob and I said, what do you want me to do with it? He said, just put it in your pocket. And I said, okay, we're we going somewhere, but he said, just carry it around in your pocket today. So I did. And after a while, he said, I want you to lay on the bed and we're going to practice some astral travel. And I said, okay. And I laid on the bed. My grandkids who lived with me at the time were up and down the hallway, so I locked the door. And I took off the sweatshirt that had the key in it, and I set it beside the bed. And I laid back on the bed, and we worked on some astral travel for a while, and I would kind of go over, and then I would, something would happen, and I'd flip back. And, um, and he said, oh, before I laid down, he said, the, the, um, project for today is to get the key from your pocket downstairs. My bedroom was upstairs to the bowl beside the door. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't believe, I would never believe anything he'd tell me. And it always happened. And so I lay down and we went through this and I, and then my granddaughter comes to the door and knocks and she says, grandma, it's time to take me to swimming lessons. I said, okay. So I got up, I reached for the sweatshirt. I reached into the pocket to get the key and it wasn't there. And I know it was there before I put it because I was always checking because it was the only one I had. I know it was there when I put it in. So I said, oh, crap. And I walked down the stairs, almost dreading it. And there it was sitting in the bowl by the door. But there were lots of other things that would happen, too. But that was probably the most dramatic. And uh, and then about a month after we started, in the meantime, I'm getting lots of validations, lots of validations. But a month after we started, I was led to contact a psychic medium who had just moved to town. I went to see her. I tested her out with my family. She was awesome. 
And so I said, okay, I'm going to set up another appointment. And I did. And Steve had told me, he said, we're Steve, we're twin souls. We are the same soul, but different. Um, we've been together since eternity and we have had many last lives, but we're different sides of the same. And uh, so of the same energy, basically. Um, so I hired her and I, I set up another appointment. I went to her. I said, I want you to connect with my friend. She wanted the first name. And I said, Steve, just connect with my friend, Steve. I didn't give her any other information. And she said, he's telling me that you were once one, but you pulled apart. I said, okay, <laughs> that's what he told me before. And then she would tell me other things that he, he would tell me things and then they would come out of her mouth. And so I worked with her for about six or seven months and I would have some past life memories. And then spontaneously, she'd start talking about them. And she'd bring, Steve would come through her and then others started to come through her. And I was also hearing from others' personalities on the other side. And then they would come through her and she'd say, Steve's telling me that you met so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. I like, yes, we did. And just on and on. And one time he said, I said, you know, I can't do this anymore because my family already thinks I'm kind of crazy and I'm going down this you know, crazy slope. And it's maybe a week or two after we connected, he said, Stephanie, he said, would you rather be you know, they think I'm crazy. And I say, he said, would you rather be crazy and happy or sane and unhappy? And I said, I'll take happy. People can call me crazy if they want to. I don't care. I'm happy. And we've been together for, I mean, he's not left seven and a half years. But the story is that Steve was earthbound at that time. When he left his body, I won't explain why, but he did not want to move on. So for... This is like 2015 now, so for four years, he was earthbound. And he was wandering around the earth and couldn't get anybody to listen to him. He got one woman to listen to him, and she wrote a book that he gave, information he gave her. And that was another validation, because we connected later on, and she's like, he told you that? He told me that. He told you that? He told me that. So, you know, it was constant validations. And uh, so anyway, I worked with her, and all this stuff would come through. One day he was like, I was like, I can't do this anymore. You know, it's too weird. And he, cause you know, it wasn't what I, I, I wasn't out to be a medium or anything. I did have medium, mediumistic abilities, but my goal was to find peace, to find peace and harmony in, in my life and the spiritual journey more than being a medium. You know, I wasn't so in, I had lots of phenomena, but I wasn't so interested in it. And I, uh, so one day I said, I can't do this anymore. And he said, I want you to go get my, the book, the biography that was um, written about me by Isaacson. And I said, okay, I really didn't know much about him at this point. I would look things up to verify what he would say, but I really didn't know much about him. And I went to get this book. From the live from the bookstore, and I thought, okay. At first, I said I'm not going to do that, and I said, oh, what the heck? So I went and got it and brought it back. He said, I want you to look at the picture on the front, which is the picture of his face, and look at the eyes and tell me what you see. And I said, you know, what am I going to see? Eyes moving or something? You know, so I don't know. I looked, and then I didn't see anything. And later, I picked it up and I looked at it, and I said, oh my God, it's my dad's eyes. Now you have to remember that my dad was the only person. 
that I truly loved unconditionally. And he died when I was nine. And that was a shock to me. And he said, well, you have to trust somebody with those eyes. I now know that they are very close in soul energy. But anyway, um, that was just one of the validations. But down the road, maybe months later, Susie, this medium that I was working with, she said, he's telling me he has the same eyes as your dad. How come he's telling me that? I was like, oh, it's a story. And uh, I've had other mediums also confirm this. For a while, I would just, I didn't have a lot of money after a while because I all went to support my family. There are various things, but I started connecting with other mediums and they would bring Steve through in amazing detail to confirm that he was there. Did you and Steve ever have any conversations about Apple or their products? No. I mean, we, we, it's come up. But Steve's job in this lifetime was to create the iPhone. That was his job. You come in with a certain job, and he had to do it to redeem his energy on his past lifetime. And here's why. And actually, when I was three years old, you may or may not know this. Sometimes things are created in heaven before they appear on earth he gave me something to play with because he was a grown man then he already had his identity i was a little girl i was three sitting on his lap and he handed me this thing and i didn't know what it was and then i remembered that suddenly and i was like oh my god it was an iphone anyway he had to create an iphone because his last lifetime my lifetime last lifetime i died in auschwitz and i know the whole story in great detail because they've come through I don't just talk to Steve. I talk to just all kinds of people. And uh, people were so secluded that the rest of the world did not know what was happening. And Steve had a particularly difficult lifetime during World War II. So he came back into this lifetime to redeem his energy on creating the iPhone so that in places like Ukraine, we know exactly what's happening. Everywhere. There's no place to hide anymore because somebody's got a camera they'll stick in your face. And so it's exposing all the secrets. And that's what he had to do. That was one of his tasks. Another task was he had to die the way he died. But as he says, you know, I completed my task. When I come back to my next lifetime, I'm already thinking about what I want to do. And it's like, Steph, we don't, I don't need to talk to you about Apple. I mean, we've talked a, a little bit about it and his personal life, more about his personal life than his, his uh, work life, actually. Because he says, I don't talk to you about what, being an attorney, <laughs> it's not what you talk to when you're in a relationship with somebody, right? You don't go into, oh, I'm so, he doesn't care anymore. Is I mean, he did for a while, but I don't think he cares anymore. And for a while, he kept trying to get through to people. And I'd say, Steve, they're not going to listen to you. And he'd be like, well, give it a try. Give it a try. It, because he wanted to be the one that would prove to the world that we don't die. It was Steve, you know. He wanted to be the one that everybody would say, Steve's here. And he's proving to us that the we don't die. And uh, and I'd say, they're not going to listen to you. But, he, but I did try to help him through contact different people. And of course, they all ignored me. And finally, I think he's realized that they just can't comprehend it. 
they're just not going to go there. So at this point, about five months ago, uh, two years ago, uh, can I show you what I do? Sure. Early on, this other woman that connected with Steve, she had her own way of doing it. And although I could validate that she was talking to him because the things that were said, she was different than I. She was more interested. My connection with Steve goes back through many, many lifetimes. She was more interested in technology and stuff. And so that was her thing. But she didn't connect like I did telepathically so much. She connected with a pendulum and a letterboard. And so I said, well, I'm going to try that. Because even though I could, at times, it was so clear when they would talk to me. I mean, there was a lot that happened in here, and some of it was kind of hard. But I said, well, I'm going to try that and see what happens, just out of curiosity. And the energy that came through was so intense that I couldn't control it. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I was just a frazzled mess. And I kept saying, please help me. Please help me. And it's hard to explain that kind of energy. It's just all around you. It's like, the, 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 the. and finally it died away. And I was terrified of the pendulum after that. Because what the pendulum does, and I'll show you just a little version here, is it magnifies your energy or it magnifies the energy and it provides, it does something. I'm not sure what. So apparently my energy was already so strong that when it got magnified, it was like a dam broke. And then about, I don't know, two years went by and I said, well, I'm going to try this again because I don't like to be afraid of anything. I have to face my fears. So I picked up the pendulum again and all of a sudden it was working great. And there was no problems. And someone came to me and he said, my name is Tobias. And I'm here to be your guide. And he always, he says this, although I don't think I said, uh, he says, <laughs> he tells the story, he says, and I was so shocked when you said to me, what the F do I need a guide for? He said, because usually if I go to people, first of all, you could hear me so clearly that it was <laughs> shocked me. And secondly, when I come to people to guide, because I was an experienced guide, they'd go, yippee, what can you tell me? And he'd say, usually it's something simple, like don't run with scissors and be kind. <laughs> you know. And sometimes they'd get it and sometimes they wouldn't. He said, but you heard every word I said. And so we started, he went to his superiors in heaven, I guess you would say. And he said, I can't work with her. And they said, well, go back and keep working with her. And so he did. And we became friends once he let down his hair a bit. And it turned out, there's a long story here, but so anyway, he, he had some past lives with me and we start exploring those. And he was reluctant to explore his life as Tobias because he was a Roman centurion and, and he had cut off my ear. And he thought I'd be really upset about it, but I wasn't. I was like, you know what, I don't care. You know, I was more interested in how I had met Marcus Aurelius in that lifetime because I had met Marcus Aurelius in that lifetime. And I knew that already from my past memories and also because Susie, the medium, had brought it up. And so he helped me figure all that out. And so all of the pieces start coming together. Remember, I, I'm an attorney, so I look for evidence. So every time somebody tells me something, I go research it to verify that, that it's so many people have come to me and I research 
And even if they're unknown people, they will give me details that I'll research, you know, about where they lived or something that I didn't know before to validate that, you know, it's coming through correctly. Anyway, with Tobias began the circle of love. And the circle of love is what we call a portal between heaven and earth. And what it did was the pendulum, once I started working with it, allowed me to have, allowed there to be a physical component. And so the pendulum will move, they can move the pendulum and it will spell things out. If I don't get them right, it will stop me like that. If I hear something wrong, it will uh, help me with words that used to throw me like, I always said that C-O-N words would throw me like contusion, confusion, you know, consternation. I would have a hard time sometimes picking them up. So that helps me to do that. And uh, so I was just going to demonstrate for you if you want me to. Yeah. I mean, will you demonstrate talking to Steve Jobs or something else? I can demonstrate talking to anybody you want. All right. Is there somebody you want to talk to? Steve will, Steve will usually come through first. I wasn't prepared to have a question for him. Huh? We'll ask well, him. For anybody. Who's here? Are these going to be just yes and no questions? Oh, no. Hold on a minute. Steve is talking. Steve is here. I want to, first of all, say, Steph, I'm sorry that there's a bit of a glitch here because I'm not able to overcome my apprehension that others are going to think I'm just a figment of your imagination. <laughs> so he's teasing. And so I don't know how to give them the evidence that they're looking for. However, if they're willing to look into the matter in greater depth, they will come to see that there is so much evidence of this connection that it would fill a basketball court. However, most people are so stuck in their current mindset that they're not open to exploring realities that are not currently within their access to belief structure. So if Jeff wants to ask me a question, I'm here. Can Steve talk a little bit about his connection to Armenians since he had Armenian adopted parents? Armenian adoptive parents? His adopted parents, I don't know if it's both mother and father, but they were Armenians. And I wanted to know if he had any connection with Armenians or the Armenian culture growing up with them. No, Paul was from the area around sometimes I had a hard time getting have to wait for names because it's not evident around middle eastern area only because oh he skipped over middle eastern area only because my father was Syrian, 
And so I, my heritage is to be half Syrian. We have connected with various relatives from the Syrian side. I think both Paul and what's your mother's name again? Grew up in the United States. I don't know if they have a medium background. All of my childhood was spent in a typical American household. I had no connection with Armenia. I had no connection with any other countries. However, my heritage is Syrian. There is some confusion here. I'm not sure where it's coming from. However, the household in which I grew up was very much middle America because my parents were hardworking folks who adhered to American values in California. And that's where I grew up. So I grew up like other kids, sort of, in a trust on the American way. Does that answer your question? I don't know. I don't know where you got the Armenian thing. So. Well, as far as I know, his adopted father and or mother, oh, the adopted mother is Armenian. And so that's why I just kind of was curious about that. Can you, that's all I can tell you. Can you explain how that information would pertain to my own life? Because I don't have any recollection of any experiences other than typical American childhood. Steve also traveled to India. Can he talk about how the, his travels to India affected his life? Oh, <laughs> completely. Completely changed the trajectory of my life. And I can't explain to you at this time what happened while I was there that cursed me for the rest of my life. However, I can tell you that it changed the trajectory of my life completely. I know what happened, but it's not really something he is free to talk about. Why? Because it's kind of uh, shocking. Is it true that you considered developing the Apple TV? B A. bat and ball Steph bat and ball tell him it's about the bat and ball can you explain that to him I can't Steve because I don't even understand the bat and ball that well although you talk about it I am here to explain to people that we are on the cusp of a 
tragic experience if we don't wake up. So I don't really give a fuck about what has happened at Apple. And I'm sorry, you may have to cut that out, but he, that's the way he talks. Mm -hmm. Or anywhere else, because it's irrelevant. It's totally irrelevant to what's important today. And so I'm not going to get caught up in minutia because I'm here to explain that if we don't wake up, things are going to get really, really bad very soon, people. Things are going to get very, very bad very soon. I'm sorry, this is Steve. That's his character and his personality. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> like I said, I wasn't prepared to have a conversation with him. As he's been, you know, you have to realize he's been gone for a dozen years. And for me, the three things that he had to do, he, he has another job. That's why he's called Jobs. And his job is to reach out to people and help them understand what's happening in the world today. And he doesn't want to be caught up in personalities and things at Apple and all of that stuff. And he's told me things, so many things that I have been able to validate that. I don't know. I just, I, like I said, it gets a little beyond what people are prepared for, but it's important. I didn't mention it in the beginning, but you're also an author and you've written seven books. Can you tell us about them? Well, I can, but I'm not the author. The, I was explaining about the circle of love, which became a portal between heaven and earth. And we, through the use of the pendulum, which allows me to just sit here and drink coffee or eat lunch or whatever, they can talk to me so I don't have to focus in any way. I record the conversations. So they tell stories, I record them, then I transcribe them. So it takes about three weeks to produce a book. Uh, they pretty much just dictate it word for word. I just transcribe it and then I type it up, put it in a book and um, produce it. Um, probably if people were looking to find out more about this, the place to start is with a book called Gale Force Winds. It deals with the origins of mankind. It's the story of how mankind uh, came to be, modern humans came to be 280,000 years ago on this planet. And uh, what happened, um, why it explains a lot of mysteries. Like, uh, of course, I, as I said, I research everything. So, you know, I started looking up information. I was like, whoa, this explains it all. Um, like the interbreeding, which kind of baffles scientists, that there was interbreeding uh, between the different the Neanderthals and other groups. And this book explains why there was that interbreeding, which is a little bit unusual that people would interbreed in this way. Um, it explains the, the, how the soul and the physical form uh, came to be in humanity. Um, and so it provides kind of a baseline of what happened. And the there was a group called the Elohim, who actually were the souls of people who had been, they can't go back any further in their ability to look it up beyond Nibiru. But they were on Nibiru, destroyed that planet, went to Mars. In neither case was it through war, it was through just 
a lack of adherence to good husbandry, just like on earth that we're doing now. They destroyed Nibiru and then the a small group of them went to Mars and inhabited at that time. There were some beings that they could the soul could inhabit, and some of them went into space and became the Anunnaki. And so it goes into that whole story of how this came about and why right now it's critical that people mature enough, why people, it goes into how the confusion that people came to believe because of they were originally created as slaves for the Anunnaki, how that has created all this um, confusion in people's thinking that even goes through things like religion and stuff, this deep confusion, uh, the inability of people to think for themselves. They just want to swallow whatever anybody feeds them. I don't swallow anything everybody feeds me because I've got a bedrock. My bedrock is I exist and everything else is a story. However, it has to work together. So if everything is, if we're creative beings and we're creating our reality, then don't we want to create it together in a coherent fashion, in a logical fashion? Or do we just want to keep going through life, doing whatever we do and hoping it will turn out? The big key here through all these books is that you will inherit the mess you leave on earth because you will be recycled back here. Did you say that we were brought here from Mars? I said the Elohim were. The um, Anunnaki in, infused some of their DNA into the hominids that were existing at that time in order to mine the resources of the planet. This is a story, and it's, you know, I've looked up, I've looked up all kinds of scientific, uh, you know, archaeology and stuff, and it all jives. They um, created different um, people for different purposes. So they would kind of be selective in the DNA that they were infusing. And so most of humanity, early humanity, was created as miners. They were more like the Neanderthals. And they had thick fingers because they didn't need a lot of dexterity. And they didn't need a lot of intelligence to do what they were told. However, there was one problem. And that is that the hominids, which are from the ape family, have a group soul. And human, humans have an individual soul, which have a unique soul. And our soul is our history. It's like our soul DNA, and then there's our physical DNA. And they entwine. So the group that, there was a group that they created for the purpose of working in the labs, being kind of the office people or whatever, you know, the supervisors, the people that would report directly to the Anunnaki, et cetera. And those people looked very different. They were more pale skin, taller, thinner, longer fingers. Um, and the souls that had gone to ne from Nibiru to um, Mars and then were able to reincarnate in those bodies because they had higher developed history, soul history. So you, some people talk about ancient souls and younger souls. They say... Yes, you have a longer history because you have this history that goes back to Mars and to Nibiru. So the Elohim then had to um, try to help the other humans when the Anunnaki left. And this, I don't know how much you want to know, but the story I have is that the Anunnaki 
the humans finally refused to work for the Anunnaki because they were just slave labor. And they would die. The Anunnaki would kill them and they'd say, fine, kill me. <laughs> it's kind of like civil disobedience. And finally, the Anunnaki gave up and left. Hmm. And then the humans, the other humans, most of the humans, didn't, you know, the Neanderthal or the, the miners, they were all humans, but the miners were having a hard time surviving and they would have died out were not for the Elohim. And the Elohim had to assist them, but the other humans hated the Elohim. All of our myths and everything speak of this. The myths out of Greece and Rome and, you know, um, all of the old um, histories. And they, um, eventually the Elohim had to spread the DNA in order to help the other humans. And so that was the interbreeding that was going on. If, and it went on for a long time in order to equalize the physical DNA throughout the human population. If people want to find out about your other books, should they go to your author page on Amazon or to your website? They can go to the author page, Stephanie Patel. They'll find it under Stephanie Patel. I think the books also might be found. They're all in a series called the Circle of Love books. It might also be found that way. But you can also go to my Facebook page, which is just my name. and. You can always message me on Facebook to get information. Um, and the other books relate to a lot of things, how we live and how we, um, why we're in the situation we are, how we can change it, how we can, what's going coming down the pipe, which is destruction if we keep on going the way we are on earth and how we need to change the way we live, um, why people, why we have things like what's going on in Ukraine um, and how it's going to take some real work from humanity to grow into a deeper understanding. But the biggest thing is, message I think is think for yourself. Don't accept everything I say, go research it. You know, if you think I'm bonkers, fine, then walk away. But if you think I'm bonkers and you think you might like to learn more, then investigate. Your YouTube channel is also called Stephanie Patel? It is. And I have limited uh, videos on there. I did do psychic medium sessions for people, mostly grieving mothers, for a while just to get in practice. And I did probably a thousand of those because um, it helped build my confidence at that time in what I was hearing. Um, there's a video on there of a woman who brought through Steve, um, plus others in the team. Um, and, you know, most of the videos I have created are not publicly available now because I think we just got a, too far ahead of the curve for people to, to be able to relate. But like I say, you never know if you don't investigate. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you up for that? Yes, of course. Always. Where should they do that? Well, they can go on Facebook, Stephanie Patel. It shouldn't be too hard to find me. Uh, actually, my posts are public because I want everybody. I've got nothing to hide. Um, and you can just message me there. Send a friend request. Or you can reach me at an email, S-T-E-P, 
E-A-T-E-L at yahoo.com. Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yes. Talk to each other. That's, that's what we do in the circle. We talk to each other. We listen to each other. And we think about things. And we don't just dismiss people. We don't just say, well, you're stupid and you're screwed. You know, and that's what humanity has to do. We have to begin to talk to each other if we're going to work together to create a world of people that will live in peace and harmony. Stephanie, thank you for that message. And thank you for being my guest. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.